Lord, we thank you for this opportunity now to hear what you did in the book of Ruth, in the lives of these two women. As we listen and as we explore, we pray that we may discern what it is that you're doing in us. Speak to us then, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about some NTM, New Tribes uh, mission, uh, missionaries. Three of them, Dave, Rick and Mark. They were living in the US with their wives, their children. They decided to leave the comfort of America for Panama to serve God in missionary work in, in rural areas there. They went along and as they began their work, pretty early on in their work, armed guerrillas from the FARC, F-A-R-C group, burst into their homes, held the men at gunpoint, and their wives began to pack bags for them under order, and then watched their three husbands, the three ladies, watched their husbands be marched off into the Panama jungle and eventually across the border into Colombia. That was 27 years ago. They haven't seen their husbands since. They are presumed dead. And we're left asking, aren't we? We ought to be at least asking, where was God then? What, what plan could possibly be panning out for them? What good, what good could, could, could come out of such loss? Such pain, such despair. When we consider Job, and it's an incredible book, it's one of the earliest books of the Bible, when we consider Job's response to his loss, and we think of that, it's huge, isn't it? Of all his loss, right down to all his children on a single day. It gives, gives us hope in darkness and despair. It gives hope to Nancy, Tanya and Patty that God is working something out here. Listen to this. This is what Job did in his suffering. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Can you see what he's teaching us in his little prayer? It's a powerful message. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Job knew on that faithful day when his world was turned upside down, when there seemed to be no sense that there was. He knew that. He knew that on that day and the moment of his loss that God was on the throne, that God was still ruling, that none of this went amiss. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And it's the book of Ruth, of the many books of the Bible to 66, that captures the essence of what God was doing with Job, what God was doing, he's doing through history, what God is doing in you today, it captures it brilliantly. It's, it's what we're looking at. It. The book of Ruth, just four chapters, captures the essence of God's invisible hand that's at work 
in the lives and the circumstances of his people. It is a word. Let me throw this out. It begins with P. That captures the essence of God's invisible hand at work in our world. Anyone know the word? Pro. That's the clue. Providence. Have you, are you familiar with that word? Yeah. Back in the UK, we have an insurance company called Providence. Okay. It's, it's, it's a theological term. It simply means it's the God behind the scenes, like the director of, of, a, of, a, of a program, of a show, the, the director of some great project, he interacts with human affairs, steering the circumstances of their lives, of the lives of the people, to a desired or designed end. Let me just repeat that. It's God, behind the scenes, directing the affairs of people and circumstances to bring about his desired, designed end. It's God showing that he's greater than our circumstances. It's God showing he's bigger than our mistakes, our sins, our surprises. It's God showing that he rules and it's God showing that ultimately a plan is unfolding. That ultimately a plan is a work. Ruth then is a unique story. It's about two women. And it's a wonderful thing about the Bible, different to many other religious books, is that there's so much focus on women. And this book is almost entirely focused on these two women, apart from the character Boaz, which we'll meet later. When we look at our lives, their lives take Naomi, full of loss, loss of family, loss of wealth, hardship, pain, the loss of peace, happiness certainly, with no seeming reason. The second woman, Ruth, the loss of her husband, the loss of her home, of her gods, of everything she knew, she travels as an alien to another country. But there, both of them, after their losses, we'll see over the next few weeks, encounter the most incredible provision and blessing of God. Some say it's the perfect story. Some say it's the loveliest complete work on a small scale. Others have said that no poet in the world has written a more beautiful short story. It's a great book. I mean, if all that doesn't appeal to you, <laughs> there's nothing more I can do. Okay? It's worth listening to. It's a fabulous book. It may have happened many hundreds of years ago, but it's relevant to your life and to mine today. That's why we're looking at it. So let me begin. Our heading is, is, is a, in Providence. It's the mystery of providence. The mystery of providence. And because it is a mystery... I mean, if we could make sense of it, we wouldn't be despairing in our pain, would we? It's a mystery. The mystery of providence. It's only a mystery to one set of people. It's not a mystery to God. So it's a mystery. And here's our subheading. God's not finished yet. That sums up chapter one. God's not finished yet. Let me take you through the chapter. Uh, you may be thinking, if he's going this slowly in the early verses, how long is he going to keep us here? Well, we're going to, we're going to go through the chapter at differing paces. Don't lose heart. Okay? Detail, and then we'll do some leaps through the chapter. We'll get to the end of the chapter sometime in the next day or so. 
sometime today. Okay, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled. So this is Joshua's dead, who who led the Israelites into Canaan. They've conquered the land. This is from the time of Joshua to the first king, to King Saul, from about 1450 roughly to about 1000 BC. We're covering about 400 years. It's within this time frame then that the events of Ruth, so this is real. Nothing in the Bible is fiction. Okay, so this is real history. You can look back at this history. This is where these events unfolded for this family. Now, there was a famine in the land, a regular occurrence, and usually localised. So it's very normal to have a famine, say, in a location like Israel, and and a very neighbouring country right next door to be in affluence of of plenty, if you like. So a local famine. And therefore, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, just like uh, we've discovered in Australia that there are many repeat names of places that we knew back in the UK. I remember when we first landed here in Sydney Airport, the first thing to confront me was Liverpool. I wondered if we got on the wrong flight. <laughs> so so in, in Israel, there was more than one Bethlehem. And so this is the Bethlehem in Judah. What took place there? The big event, the star and the birth. And so... It's there that a man and his family, we're told, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. It's just temporary. There's an uncomfortable, difficult situation where they're living, and so they're looking for temporary asylum. We know, we know about that, don't we? We see it often. So they're looking for temporary asylum in a neighbouring, close-at-hand country just until the the famine ended. I mean, the Israelites belonged in Israel. It's where their land was. So this was a temporary measure. Moab is just across from the Dead Sea, just a small land. It's modern-day Jordan, but you can see it, and it would have been obvious that things fared better there. The family that's migrating has means, that a relatively wealthy family, we're told in verse 21, Naomi speaking, I went away full. So, and I'm sure it doesn't just mean her belly. She went away amply supplied with resources. She went away full. Moreover, they're well known. Listen to this. When they arrived back in Bethlehem at the end of the chapter, the whole town was stirred. Okay? So a lot of interest in this family. Can this be Naomi? So we have a well-known reasonably well family and they went to live in Moab and went to Moab and lived there. They sought temporary asylum until the national hardship in their country had ceased. I'm laboring laboring that because it's the background. It's the scene, the backdrop. If you like, this is the stage. So here comes the detail. Verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech and names that you'd be aware, I'm sure, how significant back then. His name means God is king, and his wife's name was Naomi. It means pleasant. We have a Naomi here, so you can, you can uh, suss it out for yourself. And then the names of the two sons were Marlon, which means to be weak or sickly, okay? and Kilion means failing. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, okay? and they went to 
Moab and live there. So as I said, the names are significant. And the names of the two boys, can you see the significance? You know the story, so can you see the significance in the name? What do we know about these two men, young men? They weren't well. They they haven't been well since birth. Neither one of them. And it seems it's quite a miracle that they've made it to adulthood. Okay? It's probably one of the reasons why they migrated so quickly when the famine, that these two young men were vulnerable. And so their family, no, they wanted to put them in a safer place, but it didn't work. Here's what we read in verse 3. Elimelech named his husband. He died in that foreign land. And soon after, well, afterwards at least, when they lived there in total about 10 years, both Marlon and Killian also died. So what began as probably something to uh, not just better their circumstances, probably to keep their kids safe, ended up being fatal. And so the significant members of this family are dead. Because look, it's not our view, I know, but in that culture at least, the people who were significant were the men. And so you now have a scenario where the most significant character, what do you do when, look, Formula One has just resumed, okay, if you don't know. Uh, so Lewis Hamilton qualified second. I'm almost tempted this evening to leave the TV off. Because, <laughs> you know, you're not going to do very well from that position if you want to win. You know what it's like when you're watching your favourite movie? If your character dies, the one you're invested, your, you switch the TV off, don't you? And here, with the three key men dead, there's no significance really left in this story, you would think. Not only that, what interest could there be in the lives of two women who are destitute, or three women, poverty-stricken, in a foreign place? And naturally, the book of Ruth, you think, wouldn't have anything more to tell us. And yet, if you read the rest of the book, and I've cheated, I'm sure you have, Okay, this is just the beginning. You see, in darkness and despair and hopelessness, real, look, if you haven't felt it, this is real. This is tangible, okay? Real despair. There's hope. There's hope. Let me skip to verse 4 for a second. Verse 4 that we didn't look at earlier. The two men married. Okay, almost Orpah, and it looks stiff-necked. It's not just a physical situation, possibly a character flaw. Okay, stiff-necked. But the other, Ruth, friendship. What a lovely thing for someone's name to mean. You know, a bit like Barnabas in the New Testament. You know, here's, here's Ruth, and her name means friendship. Something about this child at a birth just just let their parents to think that, you know, this is going to be a friendly child. So in their 10 years, the boys are married, okay, possibly towards the end of their time, well, possibly at least towards the end of near their death because there's no kids involved here. So they married quite late, it seems. So Naomi now is left with just two young ladies, daughter-in-laws, 
and no means to support them. Verse 6, when you heard, heard therefore in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. Verse 7, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She can't keep them, can she? I mean, there's no state benefit system. And these are foreigners. There wouldn't be that much of a welcome to them in Israel. She can't find a husband for them. She feels a responsibility. And so the most natural thing is for Naomi to let go of them, to give them an opportunity to return to their family, get remarried, start again. While she just goes back with no hope other than to survive. And yet the loyalty of the friend, Ruth, this friendly lady, it seems, it won't let go of Naomi. And it's lovely to behold. You see, whereas Orpah is ready to go at the first opportunity seems Ruth clings to her Ruth it seems feels a responsibility it should be the other way around you see the responsibility lies with Naomi to care for Ruth she's under some obligation to provide for her after bringing her into her family particularly knowing that her sons were sickly but Ruth takes on the responsibility. She feels that she can't let go of her mother-in-law and let her fend for herself. And so, we do it in verse 19. She goes with her, ready to leave her family, her land, and her gods. So the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Ten years on, this is how well known they are. Don't call me Naomi. Okay, it's because, because her name has, well, really, rather her circumstances resemble nothing of pleasantness. Rather call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, okay, with real potential and, and real wealth, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. And Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So she can discern, like Job, that God is not outside of her circumstances. She returns to Bethlehem, which incidentally happens to mean the house of bread. Remember, she's returning in poverty. Okay, the great irony in the story, but she's now coming to the house of bread. And what season is it? It's harvest. Okay, that, the reason that she left the famine is history. She's coming back to the house of bread at the time of harvest. And even now you think this is the end of a story. It's not the end of the story, but it is the end of Act 1. It's the close of Act 1. And the beginning of a brand new act. The curtain shot here. This is intermission time. Early on in the story. But because the story is going to take a significant turn now. This is the end of Act 1. This is the background. This is the despair. This is the hopelessness. This is the reality. This is a situation from which 
naturally speaking, there's no coming back and no acquiring of anything of any value. And yet, as Act 2 will begin next time, as Act 2 will begin, we'll be introduced to a brand new character. You see, this story is not going to turn around with just two little ladies. Okay, Act 2 will introduce to us a brand new character, the hero in the story, and with him a chain reaction of events that will lead to the most incredible transformation in the lives of these women. The transformation in Naomi of mothering a child through in surrogacy through Ruth, of being provided for, and being able to witness the providence of God in her life. And of Ruth, finding a husband who's loving, caring, generous. Oh, we'll see what an incredibly generous man Boaz is. A husband child and ancestry not just in a, a royal line that would be great wouldn't it but ancestry in the line of Jesus thank you Jesus who'd believe that who'd believe that these two insignificant Widows returning home with anything would be in the ancestry of Jesus. Wow. So you can see, can't you, why they said it's the most beautiful short story. And so the point simply is, and it's that heading, friends, I don't know how long I've been preaching for, five minutes? Yeah. My heading is this, and we'll come into the close in a few minutes. The God's not finished yet. If you only remember one sentence, please take that away with you today. The God's not finished yet. For Naomi and for Ruth, there's still chapters 2, 3, and 4, when God will do something brilliant and show us his masterpiece. And the message for you and me, is simply this. The message is simply this. I'll give it to you in the words of someone smarter than me, a commentator. Listen to this. In the book of Ruth, God came to the aid of two needy women, demonstrating his power to bring good out of sorrow and life out of death. The simple message for you and me is no matter how dark our predicament no matter how difficult our situation, no matter how desperate or impossible the situation that we're in, no matter how painful it is, no matter how long it's been like this, no matter what you've been told, no matter the prognosis, God's not finished yet. God's not finished yet. The God who was unfolding events in Ruth and Naomi's life is unfolding events in your life, in the life of Living Word Bible Church, in the, in the existence of His church. That there's a bigger plan. We're in that plan. 
but it spans across his universal church. And so however long it's taken you to get where you are, and however close you may feel to the end, you know, you may feel there's not long left for you. Hey, chapter two of your life may be the beginning of something great. Three chapters are going to transform the lives of these people, these two women. Who knows what the next three chapters of your life or Living Word Church or the Church of Jesus Christ will bring about. Who knows? But that there may be compensation, there may be sense, there may be remedy and an end to heartache, pain, and misery. God's not finished yet. Let me tell you a story. True. The 17th century, 30-year war. I don't suppose any of us were there. Okay. The 30-year war. There's a pastor, Paul Gerhardt. He, with his family, and amidst this war, had to flee, leaving everything behind. One night, in the despair of that situation, his wife broke down. <laughs> they had nothing. Lost everything. And there wasn't any hope. And Gerhard went away by himself, got along with God, and soon afterwards felt the burden lift and felt the presence of God. <laughs> Like it was going to be okay. Have you, ever, have you felt that? You must have felt that. What, your situation is in despair and out of the blue. Out of nowhere. You just sense a peace. Ever had that? When God just whispers into your ear, it's going to be okay. God had that moment. And, and, and he penned a hymn when he had this encounter with God, when he heard from God, hey look, God speaks today. He can speak to you out loud, he really does that, but he can, but he most often speaks to your soul. Listen out for him. Listen. And, and so God began to speak to God and he wrote these words over him. Give to the winds thy fears, hope, and, let me start again, give to the winds thy fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time. So shall the night soon end in joyous day. Hang in there. Hang in there. The article where this is from continues, it is often in our darkest times that God makes his presence known and most clearly felt. He uses our sufferings and troubles to show us that he is our only source of strength. And when we see this truth, that God is the only, the only one he got left, okay? He's the only one you've got left. When we see this truth, like Pastor Gerhard, we receive new hope. Whatever you may be facing, take heart. Put yourself in God's hands. Wait for his timing. He will give you a song in the night. God's not finished yet. So remember Jeremiah. 
we quoted this a few weeks ago in, in one of the Psalms. If you haven't listened, that's still online. It's an amazing verse to the people of Israel, but it's not just to the people of Israel. It reverberates. Everything God says echoes. He has such a significant voice. When I say something to my kids, it echoes no further than the foot in front of me. No one hears me. Okay? When God speaks, it echoes through the corridors of time and it reverberates and let that echo hit your ear right now. Because this is what he says to you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's God's word to you, friends. That there's a plan unfolding, even in the dark providences that you're facing or may face, that somehow his plan is unfolding in through it. This is what the psalmist says. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound. That means if you say something is profound, okay, it's profound I'm wearing a t-shirt in winter. Okay? It's because when you start speaking, you get really hot, don't you? Okay? I do. Okay, look, when you say something is profound, okay, it means it's difficult to work out. God's ways and thoughts are profound. Isaiah 55 for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Look, when you look at your life, when if I look at Morag's life, I mean, who would, who would have, who would have painted it like that to get it to where it is today? Who would do that? Only somebody who knew what he could make of it today. Only somebody who had the confidence to know what he could do in 2020. Only God. Only God. Only God can have that level of confidence. And his ways are not our ways, friends. And here's his word to you. He is in your situation. He's interacting with it. He's an awesome God. He's got a design and a plan, like an architect. My background is engineering. You always had drawings to work of. Drawings, drawings, drawings. Not of Mickey Mouse. Okay? architectural drawings of, of equipment, pieces, pieces of vehicles, of airplanes. God has got one of those for you. And let me tell you, on his plan, let me tell you, do you, do you know how far you have deviated on his plan? Someone have a guess. How far, how far does George deviated on God's architectural plans for his life. Someone tell me, how far has he deviated over the last, what are you, George, 50? 50 years? Someone tell me, how far has George deviated on God's architectural drawings for his life? He hasn't. He hasn't. George hasn't deviated, no matter what he's done and how silver he's become. Okay? Silver's a good colour, George. George hasn't deviated one millimetre from the architectural drawings that God has of his life. You see, God is holding course. He's holding course for Ruth, for Naomi. He's holding course for you. And my time is now up. Let me just give you this New Testament verse. Romans 8.28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those 
who love him. There's nothing that you're encountering that is outside of his control to utilize for your good. And the wonderful thing about God is that he never gives up. I give up all the time. Okay? God never gives up. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's not going to give up on you. It never gets too complicated for him. You know when you start something? I don't know if you ever stripped something, stripped an engine. And Brendan does that. I had a look at the engine that he stripped. And if that was me, I'd just be walking away now. Okay? God never walks away. Never gives up. He promises to complete what he's done. So let me leave you with this. I've been mean, keep saying, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to leave you. Let me leave you with this for sure, okay? Now, Romans 5.3. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, the hope that Jesus gives, the hope that Jesus implants in us, the hope never disappoints. Hope based in God's interest and love and care for you never disappoints. Hope based in his sovereignty never disappoints. Hope resolved, anchored in his resolve to complete a project never disappoints. God's not finished yet. Hold on to that. Take that with you into tomorrow and whatever else may, you, you may encounter. God has not finished with you yet. And that's the mystery of providence. Thank you.